Father, I thank you in the name of your Son that you have given to us freedom in you. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us and that you'd teach us and instruct us. I thank you for the word that you've given to us. I thank you for the, 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 the truth of, of the Bible. Make it plain for us today. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us to put it into practice as well, that we would be used by you. Thank you, Father God, for this time. And I thank you that you're with every person that's watching and listening this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Today's parable is another agricultural parable, and the imagery is very familiar to people around Galilee. And, and uh, I was talking with uh, Randy earlier this morning, and these, these two parables of agriculture just bring so many things back to me of those, those years that, that I was farming and raising crops. This parable is also about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he rules in the hearts of believers. And even though he may be absent physically from the earth, he still rules through his spirit. So the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a real thing. The parable of the tares comes to us in Matthew chapter 13 in two parts. There's the initial telling of the story by Jesus, and then, then later Jesus explains the meaning to his disciples. Let's turn to uh, Matthew 13 and read today's parable. Beginning in verse 24, he says, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have, have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This parable is about God's rule on earth before Christ's second coming. The man is sowing in his own field. It's not, it's not like he's doing custom farming. He's not renting of the farm. This is his own fields. And we know from the, the language here that the seed is good seed. There, and logically, I mean, especially as a farmer, there's no reason to, to sow mediocre seed. You wouldn't go out into your, seed, your field and, and seed just whatever you could find, just average seed. When, when I was um, farming, I shopped for the very best seed available. Whatever I could, could find. I mean, there was lots of seed out there. But I, I wanted tested seed that would match the conditions of my field 
and the length of my growing season. I could have paid less for seed. Every year there was this debate. I could have bought seed for less money. But I knew that poor quality seed would reduce my, my yield at the end of the year. The condition of the soil in this parable is assumed to be fertile and, and it would produce good fruit. We're also told that the grain that's being planted is wheat. This man that's planting also has an enemy. We're not told why there's an enemy, only that there is one. And the enemy knows about raising crops. He knows about grain and tares. Tares, what, what is that? Well, that word tares, it comes from a Greek term for a variety of ryegrass, also called darnel, which was a difficult noxious weed to control in wheat. It still is. And the reason is that the two plants are so similar in appearance that the, the tares, you, you, you couldn't right away, when the plants are young, distinguish between the two. The tares would sprout about the same time as the wheat, and they would grow and they would look so much alike that you couldn't, you couldn't separate them without damaging the wheat. Tares would naturally occur, but when there was a large, uh, evenly spread infestation, it was obvious the field had been intentionally sown. Now, there's only really one time to, to really begin to distinguish between the tares and wheats. And, and the, that was when the two plants form a seed head. And when that head is being formed, the experienced reapers could come in and they could take the tares out. And it says that they would remove the tares and burn them and bind them. And they would burn them to slow the, the spreading of the noxious weed. Now, this, this idea of sowing tares into somebody's field, that was a common method of revenge, and sometimes it was even used as a form of warfare. Sowing tares into somebody else's wheat field was actually a crime in the, the Roman system. And the Romans had specific laws and penalties against doing it. This is a very serious thing, especially in the first century. In verse 36, it says he left the crowd. So he's told this parable. He leaves the crowd, went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares and the field. The disciples wanted an explanation. And that's great. What this also tells us is that they understood enough about the tares and associated the tares with judgment and they also made a connection of some kind between judgment and unbelievers. There's an interesting interaction that occurs with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, he's, he's passing through Samaria. And he sends some of his disciples ahead of him to, to make some arrangements for their journey. But the Samaritans did not want Jesus to come. They didn't accept even his representatives. They resisted the disciples. So in Luke 9, there's a, there's a response. James and John didn't like this, this aspect of the Samaritans. So in verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, 
this reaction of the Samaritans. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, there was always animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans to begin with. But here, the Samaritans are, are resisting Jesus, and the disciples respond with judgment. Let's call down fire from heaven and just get done. This attitude of James and John toward unbelievers <coughs> excuse me, is connected to the disciples' understanding of tares as well. They didn't understand why the tares were allowed to grow alongside the wheat. In many ways, the disciples were, were like the slaves in the parables. They wanted to go out into the wheat and immediately pass judgment. They wanted to remove the tares. The disciples didn't understand God's grace and ongoing plan of redemption which would continue until the, the end of the age, that, that end of the age when Christ would come as judge of the world. Let's read the explanation. This is in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 37. He says, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the, the, the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples knew the Son of Man was Jesus. They understood the title, a title that focuses on Christ's humility and humanity. This was also the most common title that Christ used for himself. The Jews understood this as a title for the Messiah. And one of the reasons that they did is, is, is from a vision from Daniel. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom. And all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. They knew that Jesus was the Son of Man. They knew that Jesus was the one doing the sowing. Now, in this parable, the field, some have gotten this kind of, kind of wrong. Some have tried to interpret the field as being the church. But the field in this, in this parable is actually the world, the world in which we live. Jesus makes that very clear. The field is the world. What Jesus is saying is that true and false believers will be together in the church age. We know that to be true. 
the image then that we need to understand here is that it's the church in the world, not the world in the church. Get the difference? So the church is in the world. That's the point. Satan may be the temporary ruler of the world. He may rule it right now in certain ways. But everything in the universe belongs to God because he's the creator. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All of creation was affected by the fall. All of creation was affected by what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And when the right time comes, God will free all of creation from that corruption. In this parable, the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. The men and women who believe Jesus and who are scattered throughout the world as witnesses of the gospel. The good seed is believers God uses to produce fruit for the kingdom. These are the people who unashamedly proclaim Jesus as their king while living in a wicked and corrupt, unbelieving world. God, in reality, God could take every believer home to heaven the moment of conversion. He could do that. That could be part of the salvation plan. You get saved and poof, you're off to heaven to be with Jesus. But that's not what God has done. God leaves believers on earth purposely to represent his kingdom and to proclaim the truth of his kingdom. Satan is the enemy in this parable. He's the one who who sowed the tares into the man's field. The tares represent people connected to Satan. The reality that we have, to, we have to accept is that a person either belongs to God through faith in Jesus or they belong to Satan because they remain in unbelief. There's, there's not an in-between and there's not a third. A person is either a part of Christ or a part of Satan. Throughout human history, tares have outnumbered wheat It's hard for us, but it's true. In some parts of the world, even today, there doesn't seem to appear to be any wheat because the tares are so thick. I still believe that there's wheat everywhere. In today's parable, the harvest represents the judgment of God. Jesus explains the The angels are the the reapers. They're the ones who will execute God's final judgment on unbelievers. And he he says, so shall it be at the end of the age. And that's Jesus' statement about what's coming. The end of the age is when we'll see the judgment. So Jesus 
is going to help us understand that in the day we live, we're wheat in the tares. I also believe that in this parable, we see, we see the idea of true believer being known by their fruit. Until the seed head of the two plants is plainly seen, the two cannot be separated. True believers are known by their good fruit, and unbelievers are known by their bad fruit. There's only one or the other. The struggle in the parable is why are the tares left in the wheat? That was where the disciples really struggled. Unbelievers coexisting with believers. The truth of this parable has to do with God's grace and with the mission of the church. The church age, the age in history that we live in right now, is not the time of judgment. Remember, Jesus said, so shall it be at the end of the age. Judgment comes at the end of this age. This time of the church is not for judgment. It's for evangelism. Believers are not equipped by God to infallibly distinguish between true and false believers. We can get a pretty good idea sometimes, but we are not equipped to be able to look into somebody's heart and be able to go, yep, they're going to hell. We can't do that. And when we attempt that, we make mistakes and we judge people wrongly and we hurt people. I cannot truly know if a person is saved. That's not my role. That's God's role. I can only see people's works, their faithfulness. I can only see the fruit that they produce. The work of believers is to proclaim the gospel, to live for Christ. That's what we're here to do. That's what God expects of us. If you remember, while Jesus was here on earth and, and he, was, he was teaching and healing and, and walking amongst the people, He, he didn't attack his enemies. Yeah, he, he got pretty sideways with the Pharisees. But in reality, he was pretty, pretty passive about those that didn't like him. For example, he never fought with the Romans. The Romans were, were terrible. Jesus never really, ever, never interacted with them in a negative way. Then there's another example of this as well. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his, his, his closest disciples. And at that supper, in, an, in a gesture, especially in Jewish culture, there's a gesture of great love at a, at a meal. And that is... The, this gesture would be of giving this person the first serving of the meal. By doing that as the host, you would say, I treasure you. And it would be a statement of great love. Who did he give that first serving to at the meal? Judas. And Jesus says that he knew that Judas was a liar from the beginning. Judas was a liar and a traitor, and that traitor would betray Jesus to his death. And Jesus at the dinner gives him the first serving. 
Another example, Jesus asked for forgiveness for those who sent him to the cross. He's hanging on the cross and he declares, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't condemn the soldiers who took him and made fun of him. He didn't condemn the the soldier who who swung the, the cat of nine tails and whipped him and beat him. He didn't speak against the soldier that that drove nails through his hands and feet. This is not a time for judgment. In this age, the church age, believers are not instruments of judgment. We are here to have compassion on the lost and preach and teach against sin and unbelief. We are here to rescue men and women from Satan's kingdom and bring them into the kingdom of light. We're here to be used of God to do that, that process of rescuing. In this age, the church age, believers are not here to do judgment. The separation of the tares will come. There is a coming judgment, and God will be the perfect judge. But until that time, the two, the tares and the wheat, they live side by side. Everywhere a believer goes, everywhere you go in your life, there are unsaved people. There are people who need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel from you and they need to see the gospel in you. They need to see you, the believer, who has been purposely left in the field until harvest. The time of judgment will come and the angels will come and those who are unbelievers, those who have denied God, who will be, they will be thrown into hell. Those tares who do not know God, they reject the gospel of Jesus. They will suffer eternal destruction. They will be thrown into the furnace of fire, it says. There are many times uh, people I know in medicine have told me that burns are the most painful of injuries to the human body because of the number of nerves affected. The pain of burning is horrid. Burns are terrible. And that's what's described. That's the excruciating pain and torment of hell. Never ending and always suffering. We need to understand very well that hell is real and is beyond description an eternal place with no friendship, no peace, and always pain. I believe, I, I believe very much that part of the suffering, part of the reason hell is so terrible and so painful will be that those in hell, in, in hell would have had a glimpse. They would have seen the glory of God. They would have known who he was because they've seen him face to face at the judgment. And yet for all of eternity, they have a vision of that incredible, awesome glory of God and they cannot be part of it. 
They will know forever what they missed out on. And if you understand how exorbitant and awesome and magnificent God is, and you begin to grow in that understanding of God, then the consequences of being separated from Him for all of eternity, that becomes even more painful. That's hell. And when that time comes, Jesus is going to come. That end of the age, Jesus is going to come. It's described in Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. This is, this is what is the end of the age. The end of the church age. That, that happens when, when Jesus comes back. And then in this parable... We have the last words of, of this parable, which, which are just beautiful. And, and they, they just overflow with, with hope and, and joy and, and grace. It's amazing. What an incredible verse. Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The righteous will shine forth as the sun. Magnificent. In Matthew 24, verse 31, Jesus tells us when when he comes, he will gather the believers from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. He's going to gather all of the wheat. And those who have been bought and purchased by his death Burial and resurrection will be swept into eternal bliss, perfection, and the glorious presence of God. We who believe will be at peace. And there's, there's really nothing on this planet that can be used as a comparison of the awesome glory of our future home with God. It's extremely difficult to put into any human language the glory that awaits us in the presence of, of God. So this morning, every person who hears this parable, we need to evaluate our hearts. Do you, do you this morning have a relationship with God? Do you revere Him? Do you you agree with Him? Are you His? Are you weak? Have you put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you going to heaven? As you evaluate your heart, if you're listening to this this morning, are you a tear? Are you in rebellion against God? Are you an unbeliever? Are you going to hell? We need to take this very, very seriously. If you're not weak this morning, make a choice. Make a choice to believe on Jesus. Make a choice to be a part of the harvest that's coming, to be a, a, a wheat plant and not a weed. Another part of our evaluation is for believers. 
And that evaluation is, as believers this morning, what is your attitude toward the lost? Are you compassionate and loving? Do you want more than anything to see people saved, to see people rescued from the kingdom of darkness? Is it in your heart to to rescue people from death and hell and eternal destruction? If you're a believer this morning, I challenge you. Go today, somewhere. Find someone today. Call them up. Text them. Do it on Facebook. Do something. Find someone today to tell about Jesus. Just tell them what he has done for you. Go be what Paul describes in Philippians 2.15 so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Everywhere you go as a believer, you represent the kingdom of God. Go be light. Go be wheat. Brothers and sisters, be lights to the world. Wheat among the tares. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the goodness that you've given us through your son. I ask, Father God, that you would help us to understand how important it is to represent you well. I ask, Father God, for those who have heard this parable this morning and don't know you, that they would make a choice for you, that they would give up their rebellion and open their arms and call out to you. Father, for believers... Soften hearts. Strengthen the the arms that hang down. Strengthen the believers, Father, in such a way that that they would go out and, and they would be lights amongst the darkness. Father, as believers, we come to you today and we say, use us. Holy Spirit, go before us and stir the hearts of those that were around. And when we encounter them, Father, let them see us as your people. Passionate, filled with hope, filled with the glory of your kingdom. Father, thank you that our future is secured. The glorious, awesome future with you is secured because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Be glorified in our lives. In your son's name, amen.